the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has been reminding the nation of Israel of God's many blessings and proven faithfulness towards them. God had supplied every need along their journey, despite their rebellion and idolatry. God had also given them victory over the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Og, king of Bashan, who had warred against Israel. God had shown himself merciful. Moses told the Israelites to obey God's law and statutes, because they bring life and light. He began to remind them that it was God Himself that came down and gave them their laws. We pick back up with Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 11. So, verse 11, You came near and you stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness, God's presence came. And then the Lord spoke. They heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of the words, but you saw no similitude. The word there means a likeness or a, an appearance. They didn't see a form. There was no person in the fire. They just heard the voice. And He declared, that's God, unto you His covenant, the relationship He wanted to have with you, which He commanded you to perform. What was their job? even 10 commandments, and he wrote them upon two tablets of stone. This harkens back to the events of Exodus chapter 20 when they were at Mount Sinai. God's presence rested at Mount Sinai, and he spoke the 10 commandments to them in all of their presence. Now, if you go back to Exodus 20, we can see and look at their response because I always kind of chuckle at it. It's an interesting response. God, with his own voice, gives them the Ten Commandments. Moses doesn't go up in the mountain anything. This is God himself speaking. Everybody heard it. Verse 18. After they heard God's voice, it says, in verse 18 of Exodus 20, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed. That's a nice, fancy King James way of saying they ran away. They ducked and covered. They got behind their tents. They stood afar off and they said to Moses, ah, Moses, we've got a different plan. How about you speak with us and we'll listen to what you have to say. Let not God speak with us lest we die. Can you imagine what it was like to hear God Almighty himself saying, you shall have no gods before me. Uh Uh-oh. You know, you shall not make any graven image unto me. Uh Uh-oh. You shall not take the Lord Lord your God's name in vain. And your wife's looking at you going, "Uh uh-huh. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. I don't even know what that is. I mean, just boom, boom, no lying, no stealing, no adultery. I mean, they go down, no coveting. They're going down the list and you're going, I am dead. That fire is coming at me now. And they ran and they said, Moses, we've got a different idea. Every time that dude talks, I know I'm in trouble. How about you go talk to him and you tell us what he says, lest we die. But look at what Moses says unto the people. Fear not, for God has come to test you. And that his fear, in other words, that you would reverence him, that his fear may be before your faces and so that you don't sin. That was the whole plan. God's not here to kill you. He wants you to respect him, to honor his word, to do what he says, to make it a priority. But they said, no, Moses, we'd rather have you talk to him. And so that set up the relationship where God would give his word to Moses and then he'd relay it to the people. And that's why we have the scriptures here today. 
But that Moses gave it to him didn't lessen the authority of those commands. It was still God giving the commands. And that, that thus they were right and important and Israel needed to follow them. We, in the New Testament, you know, we're not under the law, we're under grace. We're saved by grace through faith alone, but grace is never a license to sin. God's standards aren't lessened a bit. It's not okay to steal. It's not okay to lie. It's not okay to commit adultery. It's not okay to have idols. All those things are still in effect. If anything, our standard is higher than the law. Jesus proved that by the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, whosoever smites you on the cheek, turn the other cheek to him. Whosoever asks for your shirt, give him your cloak also. Someone compel you, Roman soldier, lays a sword on you and says, hey, buddy, you got to carry my stuff for a mile. When you get to the end of the mile, go, hey, man, I'll carry it for one more mile. And the soldier, of course, is going to look at you and go, are you high? No, I'm, I'm happy to do it. What do you mean? Everybody hates us for doing this to people. I'm good. I bet about halfway down the next mile, the soldier's going to go, what's your deal? I care about you. God cares about you. I'm not like everybody else because my Savior's not like everybody else. That would be a provoking conversation, wouldn't it? See, the standard's higher because we're under grace. And in truth, as I said, the Ten Commandments still apply. While many of the laws of Moses were civil, in other words, for a nation governed by God, we are not that. The church is not a nation governed by God. God's moral law, unlike the civil or ceremonial law, the laws for the temple worship, we don't worship in a temple. We are the temple of the Lord. God's moral law, though, never changes. That's why they were written by the finger of God on two stone tablets. If Israel forgot some things, they'd never have an excuse for forgetting God's moral standard. For he says, and the Lord commanded me at that time, verse 14, to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land whether you go over to possess it. Therefore, take you good heed to yourselves. For you saw no manner of similitude on that day that the Lord spoke unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. See, this new generation must obey God's word just like the last one needed to. And so Moses gives another reminder. It's the second time he said, take heed to exercise great care in living out God's word. Listen, anytime the Bible repeats itself, we should listen. Second time, he says, take heed. Make sure you exercise great care for your spiritual well-being by doing the word of God, knowing it and doing it. It's the key element to a person's spiritual well-being. Why was it so important for Israel? Because they would be tempted to violate those very 10 commandments. In fact, Moses is gonna deal with the first couple ones here. He knows it's gonna be a temptation. He says, remember, you did not see a similitude. You saw no likeness. You can't make an image because you didn't see anything. You can't go, well, here's my God. Got seven arms and three eyes. And No, you can't because you didn't see him. There was no likeness there. You can't make an image because there was no image to copy. You say, well, why would they do that? Well, when I don't feel close to God, which comes from reading and applying his word, I seek to replace that absence of feeling with something tangible that gives my life meaning. It can be an actual idol I pray to. It could be a career. It could be a hobby. It could be a person I'm obsessing over. It could be an emotional, spiritual experience at church every week. That doesn't mean it's the Lord. It could be an idol. I remember there was a, a time when I, when I first went to Bible college, it was really rough for me. I was my first time away from home. I had a couple bad run-ins with some really prideful guys there. I had some issues too. You know, I wasn't all, uh, all sugar and spice and everything nice, was I, honey? I had a lot of pride. So I got into a couple arguments. I remember calling my folks up about a weekend and said, I'm coming home. This isn't the right place for me. And they were like, no, the Lord put you there and he's going to keep you there. And it was a very difficult time for me because I didn't want to be there. And as going through the book of John, the Lord was showing me how much I loved him. And I, during worship, it was this idea that the Lord was just underneath with everlasting arms. And I was just resting in his arms and that he had me because I felt like I was falling every day. And I just had that image. Every time we would sing worship, I had that very emotional experience that just he had me in his arms and I just felt it. I felt it. I could almost feel like his arms were around me. I needed that at that moment because <laughs> I was not in a good place. But you know what would happen a couple semesters later? I would try to duplicate the experience. And I remember the Lord told me one time, he goes, why have you made an idol of an experience you had? Am I not enough for you? Is not my word enough for you? Huh. 
And oftentimes we try to recreate emotional, spiritual experiences and they become idols. I felt like the Lord was saying, don't you want to have new adventures with me? Care must be exercised lest we get in trouble. All of those pursuits, whether it's a career, a hobby, a person, an idol, spiritual experiences, all of those pursuits give me a sense of meaning. But Moses says, guys, they will ruin your life. Verse 16, lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of a male or a female, the likeness of any beast that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps in the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the waters beneath the earth, or lest you lift up your eyes unto heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, you should be driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord your God has divided under all nations unto the whole of heaven. That word divided there, it means to share with. You ever go out on a clear night? I know we don't have a lot of those in Florida, but you ever go out on like a clear night and just the stars, it looks like, like somebody painted the sky? It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's beautiful. And we do have this privilege in, in Florida. You go to the beach and you watch the sun. It's just beautiful on the horizon. It's great. But if you're not careful, all those things that God gave us, all those wonders God gave us to enjoy, I can begin to worship the beautiful, the fun, the exciting things of life instead of the one who gave me life. And when I do that, it perverts the way I live. That's what corrupt yourselves means. It means you bring ruin upon yourself. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, I become more like the things I'm investing all my time in. And by doing so, I become far less than what God designed me to be. And when that happens, God has to discipline me. He doesn't want to leave me there. He doesn't want to leave me in ruin. But see, God doesn't want to discipline you and me. He saved us to bless us. Look at verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt. He brought you out of slavery to be unto him a people of inheritance. He wants to bless you as you are this day. You know, the iron furnace was a place where they maintained a high temperature to remove impurities from the metal. And God has a good plan for every single person he creates. He wants us to inherit everything he planned for us. He wants to bless us every single day. And so when we are off where, where we should be, he allows the furnace of life to heat up to purify us, to keep us close to him and his way of doing things. You know, those of you who are parents tonight, is it ever easy to watch your kids go through a hard time? Never easy. You naturally want to help alleviate those difficulties. And most of the time we do. But you know, sometimes they need to go through it, right? You know, sometimes they just need to learn a lesson. There's something important they can gain from going through it. That they'll be worse off if you step in and remove the problem. It's not easy for God to watch you struggle or suffer. It's not easy for God to discipline you. But if he's doing that, Rest assured, it's because it's what's best for you and he's trying to help you move out of that place where you shouldn't be. It's part of what he's doing to bring you to a place of full blessing. Now to prove that God only wants good things for his people, Moses reminds them again of his own discipline. He says, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and he swore that I should not go over Jordan and that I should not go into that good land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance. But I have to die in this land. I must not go over Jordan but you shall go over and possess that good land. Moses reminds them, not even I get away with stuff. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves me. God has no plans to share you and me. Verse 23, take heed the third time, a third exhortation to pay close attention to living out God's word. Do you think it's an important thing? <laughs> take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Why? For the Lord your God is a consuming fire even a jealous God. The word jealous there means to be angry because you have a desire for exclusivity in a relationship. I'm not sharing my wife with anyone. Sorry, I'm not doing that. I don't let somebody else raise my kids. They're my family. I love them. I'm a consuming fire when it concerns us staying together. 
And God, even more so. God has no plans to share us with other gods that don't even exist. And why should he? He set his love upon us. He wants to bless us. He knows what's best for us. Why would he be okay with sharing us with someone who doesn't exist or only means us harm and will only do us harm? It's interesting. God will honor our choice to reject him and follow lies, follow things that don't exist. But he doesn't have to like it. And he surely will seek to do something about it. Look at verse 25. He says, now, when you shall beget children and children's children, and you shall have remained long in the land, and you shall corrupt yourselves. You shall ruin yourselves and make a graven image of the likeness of anything. And you shall do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. He goes, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. He will kick you out of the land. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but you shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. God did this later on. He shall scatter you among the nations and you shall be left few in number among the heathen whither the Lord your God shall lead you. And there, in those other lands, you shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, work wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. Moses knows mankind is rebellious, and he knows that a generation down the road somewhere will turn to idolatry. And just as God destroyed the first generation out of Egypt in the desert, he warns this generation of the consequences that come from ignoring God's word. He will kick you out of the land. He'll make you serve those very gods that you decided to worship that can't hear your prayers, can't see your problems, can't see your pain, and can't help you. See, God sees you. He hears you. He's close enough to smell the same things you do. And none of those idols will see their woes or hear their prayers. None of them can relate to the life that you're experiencing because they aren't real. And serving those idols in a foreign land would teach them that. And sometimes we've experienced that. We give God's word less of a priority in life and we forget or ignore what it says and we get into what? We get into trouble, right? (laughs) God lets that happen so we stop doing it. So we make his word a priority in our lives. Is that the end if you blow it? Is there no way back when you blow it? Not at all. It's not the end. There's always a way back, just like there was for Israel. Look at verse 29. But if from there in that foreign land serving gods that don't exist, who won't hear your prayers and don't care about you, But from there, you shall seek the Lord your God. You shall find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, where are they to start seeking him? In the middle of the difficulty they brought upon themselves. Why is that important? Well, many people say, oh God, get me out of this mess and then I'll do what you say. But that's not what the Lord says here, is it? He says, do what I say now. Do it with your whole heart. I'll preserve you through the mess and I'll eventually bring you out of it. That's what the Lord says. See, if I'm unwilling to do that, to obey him right now in my mess that I've created for myself, then I really don't plan on changing how I treat God's word, which means I'll end right back there again in the future. And so the Lord says, I'm not gonna bring you back out so you can just go right back in. He says, you need to seek me with all your heart and with all your soul. The word means to try to learn information about someone, to look for someone. Guys, change isn't a future thing. Change isn't an ideal to reach. It's an attitude of the heart and soul that begins right now when I decide to change direction. It's called repentance. Remember Joshua at the end of the campaign to conquer the promised land? He distributes all the land to all the tribes and they're all gathered there. I mean, now they're ready to go home, right? They're ready to make their new homes. And he says, all right, guys, now what? Well, you've got a choice in front of you. We're not fighting battles anymore. Now we're gonna enjoy the blessings. So choose you this day whom you will serve, whether you will serve the Lord or whether you'll serve idols. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a choice to seek the Lord, right? The same choice he gives him here. It's the same choice we have to make. And God promises that when we blow it and we get in trouble, if we're committed to looking for him, we will find him and we will find his ways. Look at verse 30. He says, when you are in tribulation and all these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, if you will turn to the Lord your God, it shall be obedient to your voice 
For the Lord your God is a merciful God, and he will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore unto you. The word there, turn, it means to turn back, to turn around, to go back to the way things were. To turn to God, I have to turn my back on the direction I've been going. That's what the Bible calls repentance, to change my mind, to go in a different direction. And what's the different direction? When you are in trouble and tribulation and all these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, if you shall turn to the Lord your God and what? Be obedient unto what? His voice. That's not his voice. Yes, it is. It's just recorded for us. It's still his voice. And I don't know about you, but I believe he still speaks today. His voice, it's right here. See, repentance is seen when, when what God says becomes very important to me, more important than my own ideas of how things should be. And whenever we do that, God takes us back. Why? Because he's a merciful God. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He's not gonna forsake you. He's not gonna forsake you, neither destroy you. He's not gonna forget the covenant of your fathers which he swear unto them. The word merciful means to be compassionate, to not give someone what they deserve. Aren't you glad God doesn't give us what we deserve? I'm so glad for that. And aren't you glad God keeps his promises even when we haven't kept ours? Paul said it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. We've had so many times where God's been so good to me and I go, why? You know where my heart's been at. You know what I've been doing. You know my bad attitude. He says, yes, I do, Will, but I I don't give you what you deserve and I'm just good. (laughs) That's who I am. Now, when God puts it like that, why would you want to ignore his word? Why would you think you have better ways of doing things? Who else is like this? Nobody's like this. Why would you give it second priority in your life? See, here's the crux of it. I think it's easy to forget the wonder of God's word. I think we do it all the time. But Moses wants them to never lose that. And so he says here in verse 32, one of my most dear verses in the Bible to me, he says, for ask now of the days that are past, which went before you, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from the one side of heaven all the way to the other, whether there has been any such thing as this great thing is or has been heard like it. He says, Do a survey, guys. Ask every person who's ever lived what the greatest miracle is. And what is it? Verse 33 and 34. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or has God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation through temptation, signs, and wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm, and by great terrors, according to all the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? The greatest miracle of all. Moses lists two of them here. The Bible's full of miracles, isn't it? Full of them. Creation, parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, the sun stopping, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of other people, right? Those aren't the greatest. They aren't the two greatest. The greatest miracle is that God would speak and that man would survive the process. Every time I open my Bible, it's a miracle. I don't know about you. I don't do a lot of the stuff that's in this book. Far too often, I'm not doing what it says. And yet in his mercy... I don't pick up this thing and fire doesn't shoot out of it and consume me. You know, it's not all Raiders of the Lost Ark. I read this thing and he teaches me still. He shows me how much he loves me still and he guides me still. That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. I know if I wrote a book and I said, listen, this is for your good. And people are like, yeah, I don't know. I got my own ideas about things. And then they finally came to it. I I would have like, you know, the dummy arm to come out and be like, boom, boom, boom. What are you thinking? I don't know if you love me. You're right, I don't right now. God, I think I'm stupid. Yeah, me too. (laughs) In his mercy, he continues to teach me, tell me he loves me and reminds me of the promises he's made to me. The second greatest miracle is that God, he says here, would move heaven and earth. Do all these miracles. Move heaven and earth to rescue a people in bondage. And every time someone gives their life to Jesus, it's a miracle, isn't it? You know, we've all got our stories of what Jesus did to get a hold of our hearts. But even if our story seems boring to us, The story of redemption throughout history is filled with the miraculous. 
God becoming a man? That's a crazy kind of love. I would not enter this world if I didn't have to. The innocent dying for the guilty on the cross? Who would do that? Our Jesus. And God does this because he doesn't want us seeking meaning in places that can't give it. Look at verse 35. Unto you it was showed that you might know the Lord. He is God, that there's none else beside him. Do you believe that knowing God and his ways results in the most fulfilling life? Do you believe that? Because if not, why? Who has promised you something better? What else has promised you something better? God had promised all this land to Israel's forefathers. He says, out of heaven he made you to hear his voice that he might instruct you. And upon earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and therefore he chose their seed after them and brought you out of in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt to drive out the nations from before you, nations that were greater and mightier than you are, and to bring you in and give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. God had promised all that to their forefathers and now here they were. Here they were. The love God had for their forefathers was the same love that God had for them. What better thing was waiting for them out there? What better thing was being offered to them than what God was offering them right on the other side of the river? Nothing. And the same holds true for us. So Moses says, know therefore. Know therefore. Guys, know this. Know therefore this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days upon the earth, which the Lord your God gives to you forever. The word there, consider. Know therefore and consider it in your heart. It means to return to something. You and I need to go back to this truth over and over and over again, that he is God and there is none beside him. And if he is God and there's none beside him and he's given us this, right? Then where else should we look? Nowhere. So we need to return to it over and over again so that we will do what it says and we might experience all the blessings he has for our lives. Sound good? Moses closes this trip down memory lane with this verse here. In light of all God's done, chapters one through three, in light of all God said, chapter four, the beginning here, never lose the wonder of his word. Make it a priority in your life so you can experience the full blessings of what God wants to give you. Let's all stand. Lord, we thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, that you would give us a sermon like this to kind of grab hold of our hearts and remind us that your word is the greatest miracle that's ever been done, that you saved us. That's number two greatest miracle that you've ever done. And we don't want to ever lose the wonder of those two things. You've rescued us from ourselves and you've given us our word so we don't ever have to go back to that. Thank you for your word, Lord. As we open it tonight, tomorrow, the rest of this week, and we want to learn more about you, want to learn more about your ways, we ask that you would teach us by your spirit, that it would be wonderful to us, even when it challenges us, Lord, our pride, our own way of doing things. And Lord, we ask that you'd fill us with your spirit as we do so, and we might sense your presence, your closeness, and we might be more like you. Lord, maybe there are some tonight who they're making that fresh commitment to getting in your word. Pray you'd help them, Lord, to stick with it. I know the enemy already distracts us. I know he does it for me. Sometimes a day goes by and I'm like, man, I haven't even spent time with Jesus yet. Lord, I pray you'd help all of us to make that a priority. And then, Lord, I pray you bless us as we do so. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. God's word brings life and light on every situation we find ourselves in. The true miracle that the great God of the universe, the one who holds all life together in his hand, 
came down and spoke to us in a way that we can know him, that we can see the invisible God through his word. How awesome is that? But it is not enough to know his word. We must choose daily to obey it, to seek God in his word and believe all that he says to us. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.